everyone, and welcome to the Riffing on Realness podcast. I'm Carla Royal, a mindset and performance coach working with high-achieving entrepreneurs, and with me is Jennifer Flynn, an intuitive business strategist. If you are wrestling with how to be real in the midst of rampant superficiality, and it's causing you to overthink, be too guarded, and not live your potential, then you're in the right place. In this podcast, Jennifer and I explore how dropping the masks, being real and vulnerable, can help us connect, adapt, and find a richness of experience amid the chaos. We're glad you're here, and we invite you to tune in, slow down, and listen for your own wisdom. Good morning, Jen. Good morning. Glad to be back with you. Happy to be here with you all and our listeners. Today, Jen and I want to tackle... A, a difficult subject, and we we sort of don't even know how to tackle it because it's it's tricky, it's triggery, um, it's uh, it's it's not necessarily a pleasant discussion, uh, and yet, you know, Jen and I are all about really riffing on realness, and this is real, real life, and uh, these are the kinds of things that we all face from time to time and go through and and have a difficult time navigating. And so we thought we would just try to dive in and see what happens. And we don't know what will happen. But we 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 basically want to talk about betrayal, anger, boundaries, these kinds of things. Um, you know, uh, part of the thing that we've talked about so many times on this record, on this episode, or, or on this podcast, Jen is is just about sort of the toxicity of the positive psychology movement, uh, which I think began in a very good way, but has gotten misconstrued, like so many things do, in that we should never feel anger or disappointment or whatever, and that the minute we feel any of that, we need to banish it. We talked about banishment in a, in a prior ep- episode. So we need to banish that and just look for the good feelings. And that's just not realistic. It's not real life. And I think that when we banish those feelings of anger, disappointment, betrayal, whatever, that we harm ourselves and, and even those around us and that those emotions don't go away. They're just buried and then they come out sideways. So we wanted to try to, to, to see if we could uh, riff on this and, and, and see if we might get a little bit of, um, you know, something useful out of this for ourselves and our listeners. Absolutely. And boy, if we're not having an intro or a segue, I think you just did a beautiful job there. And to kind of touch on that, I think, you know, from the positive psychology movement, I tend to be, and I was conditioned certainly to be the look on the bright side or find the, find the meaning, find the silver lining, move on, um, and as a result in my life, um, have tended to shove some very important aspects of, of my um, growth experience to the side. And as I think we, we all know, you know, when you shove that stuff, it, it has a way of boiling up somewhere. You can't ignore it forever. And even, you know, in my case, when I think that I've actively processed it, and I've had some experiences where those things get triggered and brought back to the surface to be seen from a different light. And as someone who tends to lean towards that, um, find the better feeling thought versus maybe excavating when I should excavate, um, what I've noticed is part of that is also just for me, 
um, and I'm not saying this is true for others, but just having this high level of personal responsibility and being very quick to always own whatever role I play in a situation and making sure that I've looked to me first, you know, clean up your side of the street. And as a result, like I've, there was a time in my life where I was nothing but angry and no one understood why. And now I find that I'm on the other extreme of it where I can be very angry, but I can be angry at myself much more easily than I can be angry at others because of this high level of personal responsibility. Um, like you always have to look at what you, what role you played or what you do. And, um, I've noticed, you know, recently I've had a hard time being angry at others when it's very well placed. I'm really glad you brought that up because I do the same thing, Jen. I don't know if that's just a function of how much um, therapy and coaching and all kinds of other things I've been in for, for decades, literally. My tendency these days also is just if something's going wrong out there, I'm going to, and, and I mean, I think there's something really useful for that to, the, to that, to look first at myself. I do. I like that. I like that. I do that. But I think like you, sometimes I go overboard with that and I take too much responsibility for what's going on. Um, and don't give an, give any responsibility to the other person that might be involved or, or whatever is going on. And I, and I do think there's some, um, something about that, that's so interesting to me that we would, it's, I have this idea, Jen, that if I were just evolved enough, then I'd be able to handle this, you know? And, and, and so it is interesting. And I know, I think it was maybe not our last episode, but the episode before we were talking about, you know, no more banishing, uh, but, but having boundaries and, I think that that too, it's so nuanced. You know, the problem is, if you will, if you want to call it a problem, is these things are not black and white. And we people, our brains like black and white. That's why there's so much fundamentalism, whether that's fundamentalism, Christianity, fundamentalism, you know, conservatives, fundamentalism, uh, liberals, fundamentalism, Muslims, whatever the case may be, fundamentalism is all about our brain wanting black and white, right and wrong, and the, and the answers. And I think it takes a lot of maturity and skill to start to tease some of this stuff out and, and be nuanced. And it's it takes a lot of energy and effort for our brains to do that. So I do have compassion for the, you know, those of us, myself included, who want who just want things to be black and white and not gray. But that's not reality. And so when something's going wrong with someone or someone betrays us or whatever, you know, I do think it it we get to be angry. Hell, Jesus was angry. Jesus turned over the money changer tables because he was furious. And that anger um, was useful in giving him the energy he needed to make changes that were necessary and important. So it when we say uh, we, we don't want to banish we don't mean um, that we that we just let people walk all over us. We don't mean that. We mean that we do have strong boundaries, and that we require we people are required to to listen to those boundaries. And if they don't, then they've betrayed us, and we get to have all of our feelings about that. We get to have our anger about that. We get to. Um, 
decide how we want to to move forward with all of that. So being angry and having boundaries is not about banishment, uh, but it is about, it's about protecting ourselves. You know, it's about um, finding the energy to make the changes or the moves or, or create the boundaries we need to have. Uh, so it's, it's, it's tricky though, Jen. It really is. And I think what it also does is it creates opportunities within us to heal things that are those triggers or that would prevent us from standing in the boundaries or act or, or allowing the anger. And, you know, this gray area that you talk about, I mean, certainly there was a time in my life where I was very much, and I think we talked about this in previous episodes also, it was very black and white. It was truth or lies. And, um, you know, the varying degrees or shades of the truth and how the truth can change um, as we change, as our perspective changes. And I think people get uncomfortable with the gray area because the gray area requires you to do the work. It requires you to do deeper work. It requires you to look at your own paradigms and your own thought processes and your own points of view and lenses through which you look and wash the windows clean and clean the glass or realize you need a new prescription, um, and, and change those filters, you know, as far as anger and betrayal, you know, for me, it's, I mean, and maybe this is a control thing. Maybe one of the reasons why, um, I, I always had a hard time looking at, and I, this is just kind of a new thought for me as, as I'm saying it, it's coming up, maybe being able to choose to, take high levels of personal responsibility was a way that I could control what was happening. Um, a way that I could hold on to like some semblance of, um, not even protection, but I guess, I guess it is just control. Like I could have some say, I could decide how I feel about it where when you, um, really have to sit and realize that, maybe somebody broke your trust or there was a betrayal or somebody did something that you feel angry about. You don't feel like you get to control that because it happened to you. Mm -hmm. And so if we just stay in personal responsibility, then that's something you have power over. You can choose the the story. You can choose the narrative. And interestingly enough, recently I've actually been talking about this with peers and with clients. Um, You know, people will always, mold you into whatever they need you to be to fit their internal narrative. And what if when taking a high level of personal responsibility and not allowing yourself to feel your feelings of betrayal and anger and whatnot, it's just another form of you molding someone yourself into what you need them to be to fit your own internal narrative. So you don't have to process the fact that you're hurt or betrayed or angry yeah, I love this. I mean, I think you have hit on us something really good. <laughs> I do. I Things love that make direct- you go, hmm. Oh, yeah, because I I know that um, after something that happened to me, a big, big, huge trauma that happened to me probably um, close to 15 years ago, uh, I shut down whole parts of me. But for like a more than a decade, I thought I had just evolved. And mm. when I've and recently in the last couple of years, I realized that how I shut myself down was a trauma response. It, it, it was a trauma response, although it looked really good. It looked really, really good. 
And I was able to kid myself, you know, that I, oh, look, look how well I'm doing and how, no, honey, it was just a trauma response. And so I, I wonder too, when you're talking about that, my need to take total responsibility, is that too a trauma response now? Is it just what you said, my way of trying to control it? Because I can't control the other person. I can't do anything about the other person and the disappointment and 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 all of this, this stuff. So, so maybe by taking 100% responsibility, and if I could just evolve enough, then they whatever they do wouldn't bother me. I think that's bullshit. And I think it could be, like you say, this is very interesting, Jen, a, a type of control and um, to keep things you know, the way that I deal with my shit, Jen, is I have it nice and neatly tucked in and packaged and quaffed. And it looks really good to the world. It looks very, very good to the world. People call me wise and deep. And yeah, I mean, I am to some extent, but also I think it's part of how I manage my traumas and and to keep control of myself and it looks good you know i live um right now i'm i'm renting before i uh, i'm looking to buy a house here in Asheville, and I'm living across from a low-income housing project, which is very interesting because I sit on my porch and I just hear a lot of things and see a lot of things. There's always an emergency vehicle here every single day, if not multiple times a day. I feel perfectly safe. It's not about that, but because they're just doing their thing. But what I notice is there's a lot of yelling, a lot of walking around and yelling among people. And like what I have realized is like, that's going on inside of me. I'm just not yelling it out. (laughs) So you don't see it. It looks better. It looks more acceptable, but is it really any different? You know, I'm screaming and cussing and everything inside of me sometimes. Um, I'm just not putting it out there. Um, Which is more honest? I don't know. I mean, I don't know, but it's just, it is a very interesting thing to to think about i i you know i grew up in a certain family jen um there were certain you know my mama used to say to me now don't be ugly boo you know it was all about presenting a certain face you know this magazine smile this quaffed you know and and that's not healthy necessarily that doesn't mean i'm healthy just because uh, i i don't yell or because i don't scream or because i'm nice it doesn't mean I'm any healthier than anybody else. Now, I've worked my ass off on my issues, so I I have done some good work. But nevertheless, it's interesting. Well, and I think, you know, this idea of, of um, self-accountability or self-responsibility or personal responsibility, um, you know, it, we, we, I... Um, look at it as taking the high road, right? Not, not blaming, but, you know, taking self-responsibility, but I'll tell you what it does tend to lead to is yes. I, you know, that's how I keep it looking tidy on the outside. And I had a therapist recently tell me, she's like, you really need for things to look good on the outside, not from a place of like superiority, but she's like, you just have take, you take such a high level of pride in having your shit wired and tied that, um, you want it to be neat for you, for you to be able to observe, compartmentalize and manage, but also for like, if you feel better about it, not leaking out and when it leaks out, you're quick to tuck it in. And it's true. And this high level of self, um, responsibility 
also has a dark side. And the dark side is it leads to a lot of self-flagellation and self-shame and judgment, which might, you know, not the judgment, but when not appropriately placed in the hands of others who also are culpable and have responsibilities, hence expressions of anger, expressions of, of um, betrayal and, you know, allowing someone else the chance to own their shit. Um, instead, you know, I like to carry it all around as if it's mine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's so interesting. The other thing that just occurred to me as you were saying that is that I think one of the other reasons I carry more responsibility than is mine so often in these kinds of situations is because it's so hard for me to communicate how I'm feeling to someone who has hurt me or triggered me or whatever. And it's just easier, like you said, just to to carry all of that. And it's so much easier than being really vulnerable with that other person, if that's appropriate. Sometimes it's not appropriate to do that if they've been, if they really have violated you. But let's say it's your partner, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, you know, your spouse or whatever. And, you know, you do have a loving relationship and you take more responsibility because, or I take more responsibility because it's easier than having the deep, difficult Uh, conversations that I can't control necessarily. And it's easy to get afraid of that being that vulnerable because what if they don't want to receive their half of the shit or whatever it is? What if they, what if they want to turn it around back, turn it back on you? Yes. Um, Like I am already carrying it and I can carry it in this neat and tidy package. But what if I go to express it and they won't receive it and they want to make it my fault more. Like there's a fear, I think sometimes in wanting to have that dialogue because you already have told yourself a story about what you've done. Do we really want to set ourselves up for more judgment from another person? Gosh, when you've judged yourself so harshly. Right. That's exactly right. You know, um, Brene Brown has a new uh, uh, show on Netflix called Atlas of the Heart. I think she's got that book, but she's also got her book based on her book, a little series. And I was listening to the first one the other night and she said something that I had not really thought of. And and she I think it was in the context of maybe trauma or whatever. And, And she said, you know, you when you're communicating with someone, they don't have to understand In fact, it's, you know, we have our own realities, right? I live in my own little reality. You live in your own reality. Uh, I have my stories. You have your stories. I have my beliefs. You have your beliefs. I have my worldview and paradigms. You have your worldview. So it is really hard for us to understand one another. That's just a fact. It is very difficult for it. We're not making that up, that it's hard for us to understand. We, it is difficult for people to understand one another, What she said that had an impact on me that I have not forgotten, and I've repeated it so many times, is she said, you know, you don't have to understand, but you have to believe me. You don't have to understand me, but you do have to believe me if you want to be in a relationship with me. And so when I express something to you, Jen, it's like you don't, that's painful for me or whatever. You don't have to understand, but you do have to believe me. You have to believe me. And and I love that because um, I I had a conversation the other day with with someone I'm very close with. And I said, I'm going to tell you something that's going to be real hard for you to understand. And I don't need you to understand, but I do need you to believe me. And and that sort of set up 
a boundary that I needed to be able to be vulnerable in that conversation. It's a great pre-frame too. Like it helps the other person know their role. And I do believe that other people want to do good and they want to do right mm-hmm. by what whoever they're listening to. And they want to, on the whole, own whatever role they, but they sometimes just need context or they need a pre-frame to set the stage for how they should listen or what, what you're asking for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. That idea that, you know, you don't have to understand, but you do have to believe me. And it kind of leads me down a trail of something that a dear friend said to me that I I think is really something I just naturally always have done, but I liked the consciousness awareness of it. And she's like, I don't have to agree with anybody about anything, but I do always for myself feel like I need to at least be able to understand how they arrived at where they are. And again, I don't have to agree with it, but I need to be able to find the path that got them to where they are. And even if I don't agree with it, if I can at least understand how someone arrived at where they are, I can approach things as my very best self. The problem I see with that, Jen, is that, that you know, I, I've been working my stuff for 61 years. I've been in therapy for many, many, many years, coaching, all these things, and I haven't even known the path until I know the path. You know what I mean? So their their behaviors, their things I've done and 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 patterns I've had in my life that I literally could have not understood some of them until this year. You know, I mean, and and so there's no way I can show you that path. I can show you some of my paths. I can show you the paths I understand, but I also know there's so much that I don't understand about myself still. And I have been, it has been my life's work. It has literally been my life's work to deal with my internal shit. So, you know, so I can, you know, it it is helpful when we can see the path, but we can't always see the path. And when we can't see the path, I think that's the time you're just going to have to believe me. You're just going to have to believe me that uh, this is hard for me for reasons I don't understand, for reasons you can't see, for reasons I can't see right now. I just need you to believe me, though, that this is hard and and it, and it would not be hard for you. I get that. You just got to know it's hard for me or, or whatever the case may be. So um, I think that that is helpful when it can, when it's possible. I just don't think it's always possible to be able to see the path of how somebody got to where they are because they don't even know how they got there. Well, I think sometimes you can maybe more than we recognize because we, we aren't consciously aware of this thought path, but you know, I can understand, I think why somebody feels the way they feel, even if I don't understand what happened or how they got to where they are, when they tell me that this is how they feel or that something, you know, is going on with them. Like, I I think that's enough. Like I can, I can see, well, you're obviously in distress or pain or struggle or whatever. And I can understand that, you know, as a result of this, you're having X, Y, Z feelings. And I think that's enough. Like I can appreciate that they're here because of all those things. Well, I don't have to know. I don't have to understand yeah. how they got there. Yeah. I can see that it's an, that they are where they are. Sometimes well, that's enough. It sounds like the, the fact that you believe them gives you the understanding you need. The fact mm, that you do believe them gives that you That is the probably you're right at the, that is the heart of, that is at the heart of it. I just, I guess I don't find myself <clears throat> questioning that often whether or not to believe someone, if somebody's telling me the thing. So maybe I wasn't consciously aware that, I am believing them. 
I, I don't find myself in disbelief often, I guess, when somebody is sharing something with me, even if I don't understand it. Um, cause obviously it's real or why would we be having the conversation? Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I mean, I think the tricky thing is that there, there are people who will lie, you know, there are those people who will lie, but I think we have a good sense of who those people are. Um, and I also think, what, what was like, where was I going with that? That, um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. I had another thought and lost it. I'll fill in for you for a minute, maybe while you grab that, you know, that's an interesting thing. There are some people who are live. I mean, I had a recent experience where somebody, um, well, and I don't know if this is truth or lies. Maybe this is our gray area again, where somebody tells me how important I am to them and that, you know, of, of all the people on the planet, I'm, I'm ranking at the top, but then does something very egregious and selfish mm-hmm. and fully serving in their own agenda without consideration of my feelings, even though I had very clearly communicated ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's hard to, it's hard to believe that, you know, that the, the, what you say, like, if you really truly did care, um, how would you take such such egregious actions? And I think the the complicated. I think you're right. I think there is some gray area there because because I think that people we can kid ourselves. We can lie to our own. So it's selves. like, did I did I miss all the signs mm-hmm. over decades? Did I miss all the signs about who this person truly is? Um, or Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It kind of reminds me of um, internal family systems therapy, which is all about uh, the parts of ourselves, the different parts of ourselves that that react differently in different situations and and get triggered at various times. You know, a, a traumatized child part in us can get triggered as adults now and sort of hijack our brains. Uh, if that's going on, that that part of me is not all of who I am. Uh, that part of me is not even most of who I am. It just so happens that that part of me is triggered right now and has hijacked me. So that's the part that you're going to see and experience. So I do think that there can be people who, who, oh, you know, who are good people who do bad things unconsciously or are hijacked by a part of them. And I think we can have compassion for that. But you better, you know, be damn well sure that I'm going to have my boundaries about that. Just because a part of you has hijacked you doesn't mean that you get to put that part all over me. Or anger or or, right. or frustration or, you know, whatever, betrayal feelings, like mm-hmm. any of those feelings in response to. And I think this is something that, you know, and again, this may be a very coachy therapist thing, you know, because we spend time in this world as our professions, but, um, you know, really being able to be caught in those in-betweens of kind of the existential look at a situation and seeing maybe the not best self parts of somebody got triggered and they hijacked, and then that was driving their actions. Mm -hmm. And then that caused a betrayal against or a, you know, a, a response to another person. Um, and then that person, their, their trigger, their thing got triggered Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's just one thing after another. I think we can see that kind of on an existential look, but when you're the people inside that snow globe, Mm -hmm. having those experiences play out, it's difficult to see that a person wasn't being whole Mm -hmm. and an aspect of self was showing up, um, 
behaving as a person, Mm -hmm. you still have to deal with the emotions of that experience in the moment, even if we understand what's going on, right? Absolutely. Anger, betrayal, and feelings Mm -hmm. that come up that we talk ourselves out of allowing to surface or be expressed or be sat in Mm -hmm. because we got to shove them down in the effort to be positive and turn the other cheek. Yeah. Yeah. It gets really um, interesting. I, I, I will use my mother as an example. You know, my mother was an alcoholic and like that's such a tiny part of who she was. She was brilliant. She was loving. She was kind. She was generous. She was creative as she could be. It's like, so for me to start off by saying my mother was an alcoholic is such a limited view. And yet that part of her was very harmful for me. And as I went through my therapy about her, you know, I had to set some very, very strong, strong boundaries to protect myself so that I felt safe. But, oh, my God, I love my mother probably more than I've ever loved anybody in my entire life. You know, at the same time, and I think that when that happens, it gets so, so tricky for us because, you know, you, 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 it's not until I'm an adult after years of therapy, Jen, that I can see her as this whole person that that alcoholic part of her sometimes hijacked her. Uh, but that doesn't mean I can't love her. It also mean, doesn't mean I can't be angry with her. It also means I don't that there were times I didn't feel safe with her. It also means that that I had to enact some very difficult, painful, strong boundaries with her uh, when I was capable of doing that as an adult. And uh, and and at the same time, you know, I never didn't love her, and I never for a minute believed she didn't love me. I always knew she loved me. Now, my mama was not a mean drunk. So, um, so that is probably helpful with that. But, you know, we can incredibly love people and still feel all that anger, that sadness, that grief, and have very, very strong boundaries. And if someone can't respect the boundaries we put in place, thankfully, my mother could. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that because I didn't have to completely cut her off. But that would have been the choice I would have had to have made if she kept coming back and violating my boundaries. She didn't. I'm fortunate. I'm, I'm grateful. Uh, and, and and to cut somebody, to, to not let someone in our sphere uh, it, with if they keep violating our boundaries, does not mean we have to banish them. We can still hold them with love. We can still send them to the grandmothers. I think we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, for healing, we can still pray for them. We can still hold them with compassion, but they can't enter our world if they are going to continue to violate. Uh, um, to to continue to violate us. Absolutely, and that's a hard. I think sometimes it's a hard decision to make when, you know, if you're taking a lot of personal responsibility and you've habituated that um, and you're taking other people's responsibility alongside your own, sometimes you lose sight of creating that space for that. Yeah, it gets really, really tricky. And Jen, I, I see that we're we're only have a couple minutes left, but I think one of the things I want to say is this is a very deep complicated, nuanced subject that we're breaching. And we, it's just sort of a snapshot. It's certainly not, uh, but I, I do want to encourage our, 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 our listeners that, 
You get to have your boundaries very clearly. Uh, You get to have your anger when your boundaries are violated. You get to work through that stuff. You get to hold yourself with, with a ton of compassion when you don't get it exactly right, you know, when you're not perfect in it because because you got hijacked by your trauma or your some part of your brain, you get to hold the other person with compassion and have strong boundaries to, to, to stay safe. All of that. Absolutely. And I think that's a really powerful reminder and, and noting that, you know, anger is actually an emotion that is far above despair and hopelessness and depression and, you know, those feelings actually, while they get such a bad rap, when we think about, I'm a big fan of the Abraham Hicks emotional guidance scale, um, kind of letting you know where you are on the rungs of the ladder. Anger is, is, is up there. I mean, you're, you're, you're not down in the depths. And I think the expression of that in healthy ways is absolutely appropriate and healing and we often talk ourselves out of of being able to do it because society tells us you you got to you know turn the other cheek and certainly i get that anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die but i think that that is when we hold that anger in and we don't healthily express it and properly deal with it I, I agree. I, I, I think that anger is a wonderful gift uh, when we use it. It's powerful. So we have to be careful, you know, how we use like a chainsaw. You know, if you're not careful with the chainsaw, you could cut your leg off. But if, <laughs> if you wield your chainsaw properly and you know how to deal with it, then it can be an, an amazing tool. And I think anger is the same. We don't have to be mean with our anger. We don't have to lash out with our anger, but we can use the fuel of that anger, the energy of that anger uh, to help us do what needs to be done in in a particular moment, whether that's get away from a dangerous situation, whether that's to stand up for ourselves, whether that's, you know, whatever that may be. So the anger in and of itself is, is there's nothing wrong with it, but it is incredibly powerful and we have to be careful how we use it. And it takes, you know, it's a skill we have to learn. We have to learn how to be with our anger in a way, you know, I'm not an exploder. I'm an imploder. Um, I've been around people who are exploders and both are dangerous. Imploding is dangerous. Exploding is dangerous. But that energy of anger can be so helpful to move us in a direction that we need to go. I could not agree more. We thank you, listeners, for being here today. I know this was a difficult subject, and I'm sure that we will do some more riffing. And we'd love to hear from you about how this landed for you and any questions that you might have that, that, might be, uh, that we might be able to riff on for you in a future episode. Thank you. You've been listening to the Riffing on Realness podcast with Carla Royal and Jennifer Flynn. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and share with a friend. We would truly appreciate it if you'd rate and review this podcast, which will help others find us. You can visit me, Carla, at CarlaRoyal.com. I am a mindset and performance coach working with high-achieving, high-performance entrepreneurs and business owners who are quietly dealing with too much mental chatter and anxiety. You will find Jennifer at TheBalanceMaven.com. Through her uniquely balanced approach, she combines an omnipresent, intuitive gift with experience 
evidence-informed strategies to help spiritually-minded business owners safely explore their soul's edges and strategically build a business that is a vehicle for a life they love to live. We'll see you next time on Riffing on Realness. (music) 